uh, book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband, and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let us bow our heads and pray. Lord, these words may be familiar, but we pray that we don't get lost in the familiarity that we hear and see these words with a new spirit with a renewed spirit that is constantly seeking you, that is constantly wanting to draw closer to you, but then also to share that with others. And so, Lord, fill our hearts with these words, your message, the message that Pastor Mike will bring this morning that you've given him 
to teach us and, and share with us this morning. And in all these things, make us your, your true disciples, your true servants to go out and share with the world how they too can believe in Jesus in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. So good to see you here. I sneak in sometimes when you are already in progress because of the earlier service, but I am so excited to be a part of this this service, the sermon series that we're doing right now, and I cannot wait to preach this particular message because I really think uh, when you live with a message all week, it's fun to share, and I get to go to that after I share with you a few things. First, next week, um, Kelsey DeRoos will be beginning with us. She actually starts tomorrow as our youth director and coming alongside us. Uh, you will find in your Tuesday email in the Marian Methodist is coming to you an announcement about a pounding that we're going to have for her. Now, it's not like it sounds. It's not a pound, pound, pound. It's that uh, to welcome uh, Ben, Kelsey, and their family in, we're going to have a pounding, which means you bring a pound of something that you'd like to give with them. It can be cotton candy or nails or bread or whatever um, next week and there's going to be a table out here just bring a pound of anything nice uh, <laughs> somebody's going to ask me can I bring a pound of sarcasm I'm like no um, so we want to welcome them in because of course they've made a move from another community to be part of us and we want to show them that we love them before they know we know them secondly you see the yard sign that's going to be hundreds of them out next week uh, we hope you'll take one to your home. They're free. Uh, they're right here in front of the... And they will help you do exactly that. Share your faith. Uh, so come along and grab one. Make sure if you live in a condo that your rules don't prevent that. I don't want to go to any hearings. Uh, and I cannot preach this sermon today without just taking a moment of Christian pride. Ten days ago or so... Um, an organization that I'm the president of in Iowa, the Westland Covenant Organization, uh, Co- Covenant Association, uh, moved, had to move the global simulcast from Norwalk, where their technology failed, to Marion, um, because I'm the president, and because you have Simon Campbell on your staff, and we have the technology. All that was kind of a big deal, because when you're hosting a big event, you'd kind of like three months, like the other church had, to get ready for it. So I thought, well, we can do it, because we're Marian Methodist, no problem. And I want to tell you, uh, you know, we had a number of families that are involved in that organization really step up and do the hosting, but I want to say this word of pride um, in regards to our United Methodist women. Because I was with half a group of pastors, and they said, wait, you called your women last week? for this and they did it i'm like well of course we're marian methodists our women are here to advance the kingdom of god they're not just for themselves he says oh one of my buddies said oh if i had called my women and said can you feed 60 of us they'd have said no way but ours i don't even think our choir wants to go back in the choir room now because they made it look like a dining hall they had candles and tablecloth and now it smells like handballs but I, I'm so proud because, um, for one, we hit it where it was pitched, and we hit it a long way. So Marian Methodist, United Methodist women, I'm going to give you some love because I'm proud of you. Because we are a Christian organization, and I was responded to by my people like Christians, and I couldn't be more proud. Now, as if that's not enough. Let's preach the everlasting gospel. Let's show that first picture up there because I have a quiz. 
I think I have a picture of, yeah, any of you ever bought Kodak film? Raise your hands if you ever bought Kodak film. How many of you have bought it in the last year? Just one or two of you. Here's the thing. Kodak still is selling film, but they're broke. Because Kodak went broke in a time when more people are taking pictures than have ever taken pictures in the history of the world. More people are taking pictures, yet the number one maker of film has gone broke. They were making film better than anyone else. They had no peers in the industry. Even when Walmart kicked up, even when all those kicked up, they had no rivals. They owned it. They were selling 10x more film than anybody else. But what happened to Kodak? They got so consumed with looking at themselves. They had, such as it was, the corporate foam finger that said Kodak. And it had a, we're number one. And they were waving it around saying, we're number, number one. Nobody can catch up to us. But they weren't looking at what they were supposed to be looking at, which was the evolution of the market and the needs of their customers. The world was changing. They dissolved and they never saw it coming. You go to Windsor, Colorado, you will see this beautiful cornfield where 8,000 people used to work in a factory making Kodak film. But it is not a thing anymore. They never saw it coming and they've completely dissolved. The reality is the Christian church in the United States risks the same thing. We risk the same thing of dissolving and not seeing it coming. Matt Chandler, who's a pastor at the Village Church in Texas, gave a sermon. I showed a few minutes of it to some one of our groups this week. And it really starts this way. We need to hear this. You know, for the first 250 years of, of North American Christianity, we received the favor of the cultural elites, of the Congress. We received uh, all kinds of tax-free benefits. Incidentally, by the way, uh, the Supreme Court ruled down pastors' housing allowances this week. We'll see what happens about all that. But it makes the point. We received this favor, and it was just part of American culture that church was there in most cities, including this one. You could go to a a corner very near downtown, if not in the center of town, and find two, three, or four churches, as there were once at this corner here. Church was a thing. It was the reality of the American culture, and we enjoyed privileges and and a place of, 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 of status. And the world's changing. And because in the 1950s, for instance, if you wanted to grow a church, all you had to do was make your church better than others. And I've heard many of you say, hey, when I was growing up, it wasn't whether or not the children in my class went to church or didn't go to church, it's where we went to church. And so if you wanted to grow a church, what you did is do something like have a bell choir or a choir or a youth group that was better than everyone else's and people would come to you. And those days, please hear me, those days are gone in North America. The days of the privileged spot of the church are gone, and if they're not gone, they're certainly dying. If we don't see it, we're missing the truth. We cannot act like we don't see it in the world all around us. Unlike Kodak, though, the Christian church was given the antidote for this thousands of years ago. The antidote is already before us. It begins with this. We see the thirst for for God in the people of our generation. You have to see that people are thirsty. I know that 
you, me, and others. And I'm sorry, because I'm fired up about all this today. I'm not apologizing. I preach the gospel. Uh, there, there are so many people here and everywhere when I talk, to, especially to Christians, because we're nice, good-hearted people that will say, you know, where I work, people don't want the gospel. They don't want to hear it. They fight against it. They don't even believe that God exists. Or they'll tell me that they're not so certain about the truths of the Bible. It's just made up fairy table and fables. Let me help you understand something and see something very clearly. That there are people that are thirsty for God in our generation. And many of the people that are fighting against God, I don't care what kind of degrees and education that they have, sometimes they're fighting against God is an expression of thirst. Understand when people are pushing back against God is because they have this deep thirst in their life and what they know about God, what they've heard about God, doesn't quench it quite yet. You see... When I had little children in my home and they were very sleepy and the very thing they needed was sleep was the very thing they fought against. Didn't you have that? Some of you watch YouTube videos. An hour past you should and you're falling asleep, but you keep watching. The very thing we need is the very thing we fight against sometime. And we have to understand, we have to see the thirst for people of God in our generation and understand that all these little boxes that I call houses, apartments, and condos, are people in there that are having deep conversations about the meaning and the existence that they have in their homes. Maybe you discount them because they have this, that, or the other thing, or they have this habit, or you've seen them do this or that, and you think, well, they don't care about those things. They are still thirsty. They're still thirsty to drink from the cup. So we have to see the thirst, and we have to believe that the church of Jesus Christ has the living water for the tired, dry souls among us because the community of christ drinks and pours deeply from the well of living water that's why you came this morning i mean for goodness sake it was a gale force wind out there i i carried this sign from from i can use this example at this congregation because you'll know this i carried this sign and another one just like it from the other building this morning and if i'd have been weight of sally field i'd have Everybody over 60 explain that to those that aren't. <laughs> but, but, but you see, that we, we come here, we get up on a day where it's gale force wind and we get dudded up, some of you shaved and showered and all that because you want your thirst slaked. Because you knew within the community of God and within the community of faith that is the believers of Christ, there was water that would be poured into your soul, whether it was through the singing of hymns, the bell choir, the prayers, or the preaching of this message. But one thing you knew that was in the fellowship of the Trinity and the fellowship of the believers, there was water here to drink that would slake your thirst. And as Christians drink and pour, we set forth from these moments in just a few minutes' time to go out and slake the spiritual thirst of those around us whose needs, whose souls are parched. We have to live as thirst quenchers. You see, that's what the gospel teaches us. We have to live as thirst quenchers in, in our homes. You know, if somebody comes to your house, I've been to a lot of your homes, which I'm very grateful for. But when someone comes to my house or when I go to someone's house, one of the first things they say, I've been in houses where I can't even get my jacket off. And they're saying, Mike, can I get you something to drink? Want a pop? Want a cup of coffee want a glass of water don't you say that to people one thing you know you're not going to let people you know be thirsty in your home you're you're going to give them something that that you have we're not going to let people go parched in our homes we offer them things and spiritually i want to tell you there are people all around us that are dehydrated and if you've ever been dehydrated what you need is hydration 
you start getting dehydrated, you can start losing your eyesight. You can start losing your mental faculties. But people are spiritually dehydrated and they want a drink. So give them a drink. Because you have the water that will pour into that thirst. You do, I know you. At home, you don't go make water. When somebody comes to your house, you don't go dig a well and get some water for them. You don't say, oh my, I've got to get some beans and start beating them in the car. You don't do that. You give them what you already have. You simply share what you already have. In my house, if you came, you'd have probably three choices unless you like skim milk. We would offer you water, coffee, or Diet Pepsi because that's what we have the abundance of. But if you wanted skim milk, we'd offer you that. But we'd only share with you what we have. And that's all I ask you to do. That's all the scriptures ask us to do. Just just share what you have. Next week, when you come to this place, next week, I'm so excited about this because there are several families that were involved in what next week's going to happen. We're going to show a world premiere video during this time. There's six or seven minutes where you're going to get to see a world premiere video that I'm going to show you people in your church that have proved that this works. People in your church that have invited someone else to be in co- involved in the, in the spiritual life of this congregation and it's changed a lot about their lives. So come, don't, don't miss that. <clears throat> it only can be shown first once the first time. So come back here. But, but, but what we do is we share what we have. And so we have to understand that, that Jesus puts in the category of sin... He puts in the category of sin, you're keeping your life and your faith and your hope personal and to only yourself. Understand where Jesus puts that. Because this will result in the spiritual death of many. And the church is here to share the faith. The church will live or die in this community because of what we share or do not share. Now, there's three things that John chapter 4 teaches a community that's heaven-bent on spiritual, quenching spiritual thirst, so let's go right to them. By the way, next congregation, next sanctuary, no clock on the back wall. That's one of my rules. I know you know it's there. Number one, community goes past the noise. The world is full of noise. It is hard to get anywhere where it's quiet. It's hard to get the noise which is electronic, the noise that are people going, the noise that is the things that we worry about and think about in our minds. It is hard to find a place that's quiet. Every year, and I know that they've already done it this year, our seventh graders in confirmation have a unit where the teachers lead them and they have to be in complete silence for 300 seconds. That sounds longer than saying five minutes. So we say 300 seconds of quiet. And, and almost to a person, those students and the teachers always reply to me. They say, well, first, number one, it was so hard. Hard to be quiet that long. Hard to not do or listen to anything for that long. And it was good. Because it was quiet. I was told by a farmer a couple decades ago, He said, you know, one of the biggest problems we have as farmers is we have such big equipment now, such computerized equipment. This friend of mine was farming 2,000 acres at that point, but he said he started with 180. He said, you know, I had 180 acres when I was in my 20s. I had four row of everything, four row plow, four row combine, four row. 
And he said, you know, I had to concentrate. And, and, and now I have 16 rows. And I have serious radio. And I have air conditioning. And he says, you know, I notice how less it's quiet. How much less I contemplate. He says, you know, I used to think about the stuff of the city, the stuff of my kids' schools, the stuff of the pastor's sermons. But quiet has evaporated. There's, there's noise all around us. And the woman of the well shows us that. You know, when the woman of the well, when Jesus and, and, and she had this interface, the woman of the well was very happy to live in the noise of the cultural narrative uh, of the moment. She was happy to live with him over there as a Jew and her over here as a Samaritan. She was happy when she got into this interface with Jesus to just kind of stick into the issues of the day, which might be how's the weather or what's going on. But Jesus is not. He asked her for a drink. And then he names her life. He names her truth. He says to her, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. You've had five. And by the way, if you're doing math, that's a lot. And the fellow you're with is not your husband. And what does she do? She doesn't walk into that. She quickly changes the subject. And she doesn't say, what do you think about the weather? But she brings up the, pro, the, the, the popular theological issue of the day. She says, what, don't you think you should worship over there? And we think you should worship over here. This mountain's good for us. That mountain's good for you. This is a smokescreen that she's throwing up, like many people will throw up in your lives. She's a smokescreen throwing up because she wants to keep Jesus away from her deepest need. She's blocking him from getting to her deepest need. So Jesus, being polite, and the Savior that he is, and knowing that he plays long, not short, says something to the effect of this. Listen, your spiritual biology, not your physical geography, is what matters in worship. Your spiritual biology, not your physical geography, which is to say, God is spirit. It's not limited to a place. God's present everywhere, so you can worship anywhere. Location's not what matters. What matters is the attitude of your heart. Real worship's not in attendance. It's in intention. It's what you throw yourself at. And then, after answering her question politely, he goes right past her noise to her need. He goes right past her noise to her need. If you knew the gift that God has for you, you would ask, and I would give you living water. Now, as the creator of all of us, Jesus knows many of our spiritual functions parallel our physical functions, and as our bodies hunger and thirst, so do our souls. And the woman was confused by the two. She thought she'd have a glass of water that would just continually, magically be filled up if Jesus gave her this living water. That's what she saw. She was confused, and she confused the two because no one, no one, apparently had ever talked to her about quenching her spiritual thirst before. No one had ever talked to her about quenching her spiritual thirst before. And Jesus goes right past the noise. He goes right past the noise and offers her a spiritual drink. I I hope some of you are are following these U-version Bible studies. I'm following right now, and I'll tell you what, there's hard. And I, I would never tell you this in church because it's so hardcore theology. But there's this guy, Miles McPherson, and this isn't, this is hard. So I, I, I don't, you know, don't think you got this as part of the sermon, but I want to share it with you. Miles McPherson's given this Bible study that I'm leading right now. And he says, you know, at the end of your life, when you go to heaven, he says, I truly believe there's two lines. 
as you approach eternity. There's the heaven line. There's the hell line. And imagine this, that you're standing in the heaven line because you've pursued Christ all your life. You were faithful and all that kind of stuff. But someone you know, someone maybe in your family, somebody you worked with is right over there in the other line. And it's the hell line. And they look at you and they say, how did you get there? And you say to them, because people that knew me and cared for me told me the story of Jesus and I came to receive it as the, the water of life for my own life. And the person in the other line says, but you knew it and didn't tell me? We have to get willing, we have to be willing to get past the noise that keeps us from telling people. You know, 40 years ago in Marion, there were less people than there are today, but more Christians than there are today in my city. Many stand in one line, not the other, and they have shown that they are unwilling to share the gospel. And I don't care about all that because I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can do a lot about today. Our moment is upon us. It does not matter if you're 8 or 88. Our moment is upon us. If you live near people or see any people, not just in these pews, but any of the places you go, you know that people are thirsty. And the question is, do your people know the gift of God that, that God has for them? Why or why not? Do they know that God is, is there for them? Why or why not? The community that is the Christians, the community that is the people of faith goes past all the noise. Because here, here's some things you need to know is part of the arrows in your quiver. The community receives us just as we are. Here's this woman. She's out there at noontime. Now, that doesn't make a big deal for us. Well, why not? The sun's hot. No, that's not when you go to get water. When you're, in, when you're in the Samaritan land, you go the first thing in the morning. This is when the women go. The women go in the morning. The women go in the evening. In between there, if men need a drink or something, that's when they go. But in the morning and the evening, the women go. She goes at noon. Why does she go at noon? Come on, this isn't rocket scientist. Because she knows nobody else will be there. She goes at noon knowing that none of the other women who look down their noses at her will be there. And she knows that nobody's going to bother her there. Because no self-respecting Jewish male would have spoken to a broken down bedhopper of ill repute like her. She knows she's not respectable. She, she shows up that way. Her, her spiritual self-esteem is down in the basement. And many, hear this, I'm jumping from her to us. Many in our circle of family and friends feel the same way. Now, they'll express it differently. They'll say, oh, I can't go to church with you. The church would fall down if I walked in. Heavens to mercy. If this church was going to fall down because of sinners, it would have hit you all on the way in. Amen? It wouldn't have lasted these 120 years. It would have fallen down a long time ago. So remind them when you invite someone to church that you go here too. <laughs> and it's withstood all that. Some of them will say, well, I'm not good enough for God. And others, God wants nothing to do with me. These are people you know. I'm not making this up. I, I think this is a corporate thing. The truth is, Jesus takes us just as we are. Jesus accepts us all because we're his. We're already his. 
Jesus sees us at our best and our worst, and he accepts us completely. Look what he says in John 6 to his disciples. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never, I will never, 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 never drive away. Jesus will never push you away. He will never push anybody you know away, regardless of what they feel about themselves. If they're feeling like they're being pushed away from Jesus, you need to assure them it's not Jesus doing the pushing. Now, don't misunderstand Jesus' acceptance of us for his approval of our behaviors. Jesus loves us just the way we are, but too much to leave us that way. He loves us way too much to leave us in our sin. See, Jesus opposes sin. He always has. And that makes us squirm. If I start talking about your sin, you're going to be a little bit writhing around in the pews. You're going to be wishing that you could escape somehow. Because when we start talking about sin, whether it's your friend's sin, your family's sin, my sin, our thirst becomes evident. The thirst that Jesus already sees in us is clear. The woman, she tried to avoid it by throwing up a theological smokescreen. Hey, where do you think we should worship? Hey, that's not what we're talking about. Jesus says, I'll answer that, but that's not what we're talking about here. She throws up this theological smokescreen. And we have a few smokescreens of our own, don't we? We say, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, you know, the, the ki- oh, well, the kids, or oh, we got some stuff at work. Or I just don't agree with what that church says. Or do you really think the Bible is a real thing? Well, hear the good news. Hear the good news, it's for you and for all. Jesus alone can forgive sin and give new life, and he came to do just that. He came to do just that. And his people, that is the church, that's me and you, are to be about facilitating that. The community is to receive people as they are. And in Romans 15, we see this. Accept one another, Paul's writing, then, just as Christ accepted you in order to, to bring praise to God. The reason God accepts, the reason that the church accepts people is to bring praise to God, which leads to the opportunity for everyone we know because the community redeems us in a place and gives us a chance to leave our past behind. Oh my, oh my. To leave your past behind especially if your past is checkered or if it's anything like this woman that's meeting Jesus at Samaritan well, or even it's just regretful for you. Oh my, what an opportunity in the community of faith, the community that is the Trinity, the community that is the church, that we re- receive a chance to leave our past behind. That's why yeah, that we've been talking through this series called Sharing Your Faith. It's, it's to help the community and to help you see your personal mission is to help others leave their past behind. And we've brought up here, week after week, over here on these, this display area, we brought the, the, the Bible out in front of you, the very Bible we give to our second graders, to show you that the Bible is the pathway to God. It is where, by reading it, you, you learn that you're given a new chance. We put the chalice up here to remind us that God gives us all things new. Every time we come to that cup, every time we grab that bread, we are notified that salvation is for us and we can receive it if we want. And, and last week I put out the mirror and I know there were several on this side that didn't like it. I saw on Facebook that it's a difficult thing to, to, to reveal yourself when you're staring at yourself in a mirror while the preacher preaches. But the mirror is put up there. Now for you people over here. I'm just going to stay over there for a while if some of you want to shift sides. 
But the mirror that we put up there reminds you that we're called beyond our reflection. We're called beyond what we see in the mirror to see people for Christ's sake that are beyond what we earn, what we own, what we love, than to act like us. And today, we brought two pictures out. Now, now one of them, and I put out an email that asked for people for a cruddy picture. Now, you can't see what I see, but this picture is beat to heck. And if you have my vantage point, I, I can see my shoes through the bottom. <laughs> this is not, this picture is not going to hold anything. And, and I brought this, this beat up, ugly picture that deserves to be in a garden or some other place to show you that sometimes our lives are beat up, broken, and leaking. And sometimes we like them that way. But here's the thing. Jesus also can make them brand new, crystal clear. As clear as anything you've ever wanted. It holds water. And you can see your feet through this one for a whole different reason. But it's a trade, you see, that Christ offers us. It's a trade, and so many of us choose the old life because it's comfortable. It's easy. It's known to us, and we're familiar with all of its ins or out. But, but on our own volition, but on our own guidance, we're going to end up that way. But there's a new thing that's offered to us that can quench our thirsts and fill our souls but we've got to be willing to take the trade from Christ. You see, Jesus takes us as we are and makes us more than we could have ever imagined for ourselves. I know that many people choose the old thing because they, they know it, but they don't all want to. See, we've got to see what's in front of us. We've got to see the people that are around us. I want you to hear this because it's the most important thing I'm going to say today. People are more interested in the new life in Christ than you think. People are more interested in a new life in Christ than you think. There are people in those houses, in those condos, in their apartments all around you that are yearning for their spiritual thirst to be quenched. You might not think so because you see them at work. You see the way they act. You might see them the way they treat the garbage man or something like that. But there are people that desire a spiritual, scriptural foundation, a truth on which their lives can stand. You can see people all around you that are beaten back by the noise, but they want a new, fresh start. People are much more interested in the new life than you think. They want to have the value of their life affirmed. The community that is the people of Christ witness to why we chose Christ. That's what we offer. That's what we offer others so that they might be redeemed. See, I always say this, and and I mean it. Don't make this hard. Sharing faith, your faith, is a conversation. It's not a presentation. You don't have to have a brochure that you put, well, here's the fourfold plan of salvation. Or you don't have to say, here's what Charlie said is the path of salvation. 
That's not it. All you got to do is tell them about the two pictures. You had one in your life that was on your own volition, and maybe it wasn't going anywhere, but you got a new one because Christ offered it to you that is magnificent in water, and you're not as thirsty as you once used to be. Don't make it hard. You don't have to have PowerPoints. You don't have to have, you know, little five scriptures. Just tell your story. Don't make it hard. People are way more interested in it than you want because there are so many people, so many people that are thirsty. And if they were in your home, you'd give them a drink. You'd offer them what you have. Tell them why you picked the pitcher you picked. Tell them why you picked drinking from the live, uh, living water, the, the, the well of living water, and how wonderful it is to drink from it every single day. Your people want to know. They really do. It doesn't matter if you're in high school or working in the senior citizen center. They want to know. They might not act like it. I know that. But do not withhold your testimony of the living water of Jesus Christ because people are thirsty. And some are very thirsty. And you have You have within you what it takes to slake their thirst. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.